Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode 302, recorded June 9th, 2019. So today we get a little taste of what it would look like if Kirk, uh, Shatner and company would have continued making some Taz episodes with uh, New Visions 8 and 9, which are the photo novels that John Byrne has done. Yep. And as I texted you, and I think I verbally just said it to you a little while ago, this is the closest I get to new Taz episodes, and I think it's great. I mean, not always, they kind of hit and miss sometimes, but these two are pretty good. And especially I like the one I'm doing, the survival equation. Sure. Now, the, these are two of the better ones, I think. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they, we've only read ten of them so far, so uh, I don't know if these were... I would say these are the best of the ten, but they're definitely up there because yeah. uh, I really enjoyed both of them. Uh, I think they're some of the best that we've done so far, although I definitely would also put in the Gary 7 one. Which was the last one. That was number seven. Right. Yeah. But I didn't really care for that one. I, you didn't it like wasn't that? as good. No, it, I was a little disappointed. I think the old prospector really made it for me. That's <laughs> <laughs> a joke. No, I, I I really enjoyed that one also. But yeah, I did yeah. I did see John Byrne the other day, and uh, he he definitely does look like that old prospector. <laughs> you saw him at the Dallas convention. Yeah, the Dallas comic convention with cool. uh, him and him and the Shatner. The Shat. Yeah, cool. I really wish I would have gone to their combo Q and A, but it was one of the ones that you had to pay for, so you could. Go to Shatner for free, or you could pay extra to see Shatner with John Byrne. Mm. And uh, I'm kind of a cheapskate, so I just went to the free Did, Shatner solo one, which John Byrne showed up for anyway, so. Uh, Score. <laughs> did Byrne have his own? I'm sure he did his own little little thing. I don't think he did. I oh, think, really? uh huh? I don't I I don't remember seeing it on the schedule. Uh, I know that he was there signing autographs because I went to see if I could get his autograph on one of the, the new Vision issues. But yeah, that'd be great. Uh, his line was really long. Yeah, he, yeah it I was bet. definitely by far one of the the longer non, uh, maybe the longest of the the non actor ones. The right. actor ones were always long, but as far as like the comic book uh, artists, his right. was really long. I would have rather him got a, a signature on like uh, his Superman one of the Superman issues than, than the Star Trek. No offense to my, you know, my Star Trek. Uh, I do love his Star Trek stuff, but when yeah. I think of John Byrne, I think of Superman. You know, him rebooting Superman right. in the 80s. Yeah. Cool. So, Well, I was at the Phoenix convention a few weekends ago, and I did not plan ahead as I should have. Uh, otherwise, I would have been able to see uh, Mr. Sulu and what he has to say about things. George Takei, of course. But I did see Gordon Purcell. So, oh, that's cool. Gordon Purcell, an artist on many of the books that we have reviewed, many of the IDW issues. He, he gets around, and he was just sitting there, you know, with the other artists, the, the stuff-buying huge room, and he was just over on the end with all the artists, and it was like, I'm, I'm like going by, it's like, okay, don't know who he is, don't know who he is, don't know, Gordon Purcell, oh, I gotta talk to you, and like no one else was around him or anything, so it was really cool being able to like talk to the guy. He's nice, he's good. And did you say, hey, we do a comic book review, and we love to have I, I felt awkward about that, so I didn't mention any of that. But I did buy a piece of uh, artwork from him for a Stargate Atlantis series of uh, comics he does for American Mythology Heroes? I don't know, something like that. American Mythology. American Mythology. Yeah. Anyway, I'd never heard of that publisher until uh, I met... Gordon. Anyway. But he seemed like a nice guy. Oh, he's a nice guy. Yeah, very, very talkative. Big fan. Um, just spouting off on a lot of the kind of things that you and I do. So That's awesome. Yeah. Should we get okay. back to the books? Yeah, let's do it. So let's see what John Byrne has to do. Um, so one of the nitpicks I have about these issues, and, and re- remind me if I'm wrong, but... Has all his issues been, like, sequels to other episodes? Episodes. 
No, not all of them. But most I mean, of them, but, right? Yeah, and some are more direct sequels to episodes than others. I mean, like the Gary Seven thing. I don't. I, well, I, yeah, Assignment Earth, but it wasn't a direct sequel. It didn't continue on a story. Uh, but I, yeah. But then I, he had the, a Harry the, Mud episode. He had a uh, <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, what was the big long tube machine? Uh, Doomsday machine. Doomsday machine. The tube machine. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then there was a Mirror Universe episode. Yep. So I mean, it's like I was trying. To, I was thinking about it while I was reading these, and I was like, he's only done sequels. He's never done like maybe a, a one-off. Just just him. Just his own story. Right. He well, did a, a Borg one. So it's like. Well, that's. But that's not Taz. So no, no, no. But I mean, it, they've never done like a standalone. This like like the old show. Every episode was kind of standalone. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we've never gotten that. Yeah, but it's harder to get uh, pictures if you do a total standalone. But you know, in some ways, the one you're doing is. I mean, the only thing that's a continuation is that girl is the same girl, but everything else about it is a totally new story. That's true. Maybe that's why I liked it. Yeah. And this one, the survival equation, continuation of what a little girl's made of, I think is more of a direct sequel. But, mm. yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So, that's what he's tending towards. At least taking characters and taking them forward. Which sure. does make it easier if you're, you know, you need to find photos of these people. That's um, true. And, uh, you know, sequels sell, so... Uh, I guess. <laughs> But he also uses actors, or I don't know, friends. I don't know. Uh, in I some of, of these, I wish I wish you would put like a little footnote. You know, of this today's episode, so and so was played by. Well, uh, okay, so you'll see when I go over credits for the next thing, uh, for the first one, issue number eight. It does say at the end, special guest star Scott Adsite. Yeah, I wondered who that guy was. Well, I looked mean? him up. So, oh, he's an actor? He's an actor, yeah. So he played oh. Mr. Wrigley, as in Wrigley's Planet. And he... I was going to go over this in the synopsis, but since you brought it up, he is a comedic actor. So here's his IMDb info. Scott Adsit performed on the mainstays of Chicago Second City between 1994 and 1998 alongside Saturday Night Live's uh, Rachel Dratch and Tina Fey. Uh, was one of the driving forces behind such groundbreaking reviews as Pinata Full of Bees and Paradigm Lost. That's fine. That's funny. Paradigm Lost sounds like an episode of Futurama. Anyway, if you saw him without the beard, you'd probably recognize him sort of. I mean, he's not a really big comedic actor or anything, but he's been in things. Anyway, somehow he's probably a friend of burn somehow or something like that. He said, hey, I got something you could be in. It's not a big thing. You just have to do some photos. And he's like, yeah, 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 let's, let's do that. Or maybe he's, maybe uh, Adsit is a, is a Star Trek fan too. Who knows? Yeah, but I agree with you. I agree with what you're saying. And this is the first time I've seen somebody get a credit. Right, right. So. Yeah. Uh, but in yours, I was looking around to see if he mentioned who was the guy that played the husband. And I didn't, I, couldn't find anything. Yeah, I didn't see anything either. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, enough tangents. Exactly. Let's get on with this. So I get the first one, and it is uh, issue number eight of New Visions, and this is titled The Survival Equation. Published date September 2015. Writer, art, and essentially all creative production, pretty much John Byrne. And then it's featuring characters created by Robert Block. I assume he was the author of... Uh, the uh, episode, or the script writer of the episode, uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Uh, edited by Chris Rial and special guest star Scott Adsit. The cover features dozens of identically beautiful brunette androids, and one in the middle is saying in a breathy, sultry voice, at least I imagine, How may we serve you? Spock, Kirk, and McCoy turn as if to think of an appropriate response. On Wrigley's pleasure planet, Kirk runs into a familiar girl named Andrea, who is no lady. He recognizes her, but she says she does not know Kirk. Kirk insists that she return to the Enterprise, where the captain asks McCoy to run some tests on her that prove that she is indeed an android. 
Andrea admits to being an android, but asks how Kirk could know her. The voice of Nurse Chapel enters the conversation, explaining that she and Kirk met an Andrea months ago when she and Kirk beamed down to XO3 in search of Dr. Roger Corby, her fiancé that went missing long ago. They indeed find Dr. Corby and his colleagues who went to XO3 to research a dead alien race. Kirk and Chapel meet the lovely Andrea and Dr. Brown, who are part of Corby's research team. In time they discover all is not as it seems when Dr. Brown pulls a phaser on Kirk when he tries to contact the ship. Kirk ends up shooting Doc Brown, only to find he's an android. Nurse Chapel confirms he looks just like the man she knew. Perfect android duplicates of people. A huge android named Ruck, that looks a little like a dour butler, quickly disarms and subdues Kirk. Dr. Corby attempts to explain to Christine that he has used the alien technology he and his team found to create perfect android replacements for humans. The androids need no sleep. They never age. For all practical purposes, they will give humanity immortality. The Enterprise will be quite useful in his plans to replace humanity with perfect androids. Corby created an android duplicate of Kirk and sent him to the Enterprise. Spock could tell a difference, especially with a thought Kirk implanted in the android during the duplication process. Spock decides to beam down with a security team, but finds that Corby shot Rock. Andrea shot the Kirk duplicate. And Corby wigged out when he shows that he himself is an android too. The look in Christine's eyes made him realize the monster he had become. He embraces Andrea warmly and shoots himself and her with a phaser set to disintegrate. With Chapel's story concluded, Andrea says honestly that they are wrong. She has never met them. Spock says she is likely correct, as standard dating shows Andrea's body is only weeks old. She is likely one of multiple Andreas. Kirk says they must return to XO3. There was a science team dispatched there to study the site. They will contact them on the way, but first Kirk beams down to the planet, Wrigley's planet, to ask Wrigley himself how he obtained Andrea, and found out, number one, Wrigley has many Andrea androids. He bought them from Kirk's brother, Wrigley produced security footage of his dealing with Kirk's brother, quote brother, that shows a man that looks just like a portly Kirk. Kirk immediately realizes it's Harry Mudd, still with Kirk's face. He never made it to Stella's warm embrace on Earth, apparently. Back on the Enterprise, they figure out that the Andrea android was created from a fourth year exobiology student that joined Corby's team late in its formation. O'Hara reports there is no response from the science team dispatched to XO3. Kirk orders set course for XO3, warp factor 6. After arriving, Kirk, Spock, Scotty, and McCoy beam six kilometers beneath the surface to the ancient underground habitation quarters taken over by Dr. Corby's original team. Scotty reports picking up heavy power emissions nearby, indicating heavy machinery at work. McCoy's tricorder scans pick up no life signs other than that of the landing party. Kirk says there should be five more people from the science team. Spock says he picked up shielded areas that his scans cannot penetrate. From orbit, Chekhov reports no ships in orbit around the planet, but trace antimatter residue is present indicating ship activity less than 24 hours ago. The landing party finds impressive-looking machinery and a massive underground complex, but no people. Kirk calls down a security detail to combine with the landing party, which they then split up and search a larger area. In human eyes, watch what transpires. One search team made up of two red shirts find a large room filled with chambers that could hold human-sized objects. They open a channel to Kirk, but before they can report, a Ruck robot comes out of the shadows to disable the two red shirts. 
Kirk is perplexed by the open channel with no one speaking. The captain's spidey sense is on full alert. That is little use as Andrea walks up to Kirk and McCoy and shoots them with a phaser. Scotty and Spock are likewise disabled by the Ruck robot. Later, Kirk and McCoy wake up to confront Harry Mudd, still wearing Kirk's face, but not his body. Kirk knocks Harry to the ground, but quickly five Ruck androids come to his aid and put an end to Kirk's roughhousing. Mudd admits to embracing the opportunities this place presented to him to make him rich. He has already made 50 million credits selling 5,000 Andrea robots, and this is just the beginning. A Ruck android brings in the two red shirts he killed in the Matrix Chamber. Harry chastises the behemoth, saying he gave no orders to kill anyone. Ruck matter-of-factly replies that the Matrix Chamber is a sensitive area. They could have threatened his kind's existence. He acted in defense of his kind. The crack in the dam begins. A philosophical argument ensues that concludes with an Andrea standing up to Ruck, saying he must obey, and Ruck crushing her into retirement. Four Andreas enter the room, completing one sentence asking Ruck what he has done. The Rucks make it clear that they will kill anyone they see as a threat, and that they are proactively defending themselves by continuing Corby's plan to replace humanity with their kind. With that, Harry exits stage left. Kirk moves to stop him, but is grabbed by a rock and tossed like a ragdoll into a wall. All appears lost when one of the rucks says, Kill them. Maybe I should say, Kill them. On cue, the other team of red shirts arrive, assess the situation, and draw their phasers. Kirk gives the order to fire. The two phasers directed their full power against the rucks and, 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 disintegrate them utterly. Thank God, finally phasers that do something. Kirk takes a phaser from one of the red shirts and tells them to watch the Andreas and sets out with Spock and McCoy to find mud. They find mud at a control panel about to push a curiously large red button. Kirk fires at the control panel that explodes and knocks Harry back. Scotty determines Harry was preparing to make a dozen more Ruck androids, but this time their memories would have been wiped, including the self-preservation directive that motivates them to murder. This time, Harry says, the Rucks would have been totally loyal to me. Spock agrees that could have worked. Harry is taken into custody, and Kirk promises him a long jail term this time. Spock and Scotty are able to disable all the Andreas on XO-3 by manipulating the master control units of the Matrix Chamber. Eventually, all the Andreas, Mud sold and delivered, will also be deactivated. Back on the ship, McCoy informs Mud the Andorians have made significant strides in molecular reconstruction technologies that will likely give Harry his original face back. Mudd is happy to hear it, so he is no longer reminded of his failures every time he looks in a mirror. Back on the bridge, Scotty makes a short closing joke about wishing he had more time to study one of the Andreas. Purely for technical study, of course. Wah, 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 wah. The end. That last line was a little ooky. That was ooky. <laughs> So what what is what is Scotty really saying? What is he implying? I mean, I know he must get lonely on a starship, but still. Yeah, no, that was that was just awkward. <laughs> it was I, awkward. I was not a fan. No. <laughs> it was like, uh, did you have to go there, John? Did you have to go there, lad? Right. Even if you were thinking it, don't say it. You don't don't have to go there. Don't even think it. Why Why would he? Well, whatever. I mean, I, I guess he wanted to see if her makeup was different than Data's. <laughs> uh, well, he doesn't know Data yet. <laughs> yeah, this has always been my problem with... I was a fan of The Next Generation and the movies before I ever really watched the original show. Right. So anytime they had very human-looking androids on the old show, I was always like... 
I thought Data was the first one. These guys look more human than Data does. So well, but um, yeah, but this is created by a long dead, advanced alien situation. Data is the first one made by humanity. Uh, is that the difference? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I could at least in this case. In this case, Roddenberry always said they want people out there doing all this stuff, not robots. So, for the most part. He kept robots out of the Federation, out of Star Trek, um, right. in in Taws. But yeah, I mean, alien races came up with with them from time to time. And that right? Was okay. I well, guess so. well, I mean, it, it. I mean, it's the alien race. I mean, it's. I mean, his thing is he. Well, I don't know. I just always thought it was a, a little annoying when, in the next generation, when they always act like it's new. It's something that's never been done before, and then you watch the old show, and you know, well, yeah, every handful of episodes, there's suddenly a very human-looking android that looks better than Data. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's new for humanity doing it, but yeah, but uh, but once I'm able to kind of separate myself from that, I'm I'm able to enjoy these better. Right. Good. Good. So So I already. Oh, oh, go go ahead. ahead. (laughs) <laughs> you no. go, you go. <laughs> no, I was going to ask you. So the person that uh, he does credit is the um, the guy that was selling the, or buying the Andrea robots? Is that who he Right, played? Wrigley. Yeah. Yeah, because when I was reading it, he looked very familiar. Right. Yeah, he's been on things. So he is the sole new human <laughs> that was tapped for this issue. Okay. I don't think there were any other... However, I got to point out that in several places, they did show Yvonne Craig, Batgirl. So I was yeah. very happy to see that, because she had like a great one back. Of the, one of the waitresses or whatever? Yeah, they showed her on the first page, and a little later, when Kirk went back to talk to him. Yeah, on that first page, it seems like it's supposed to be Andrea. Like, he, like, that's the girl he walks up to and spins around, and it's Yvonne Craig's back, and then when she spins around, it's Andrea. Oh really? At least that's that's what it seemed like to me in that page. Okay. That or he like pushed aside <laughs> Yvonne Craig and went went to Andrea. I don't know. But yeah, I totally. Oh agree. no no no! You can see Andrea standing right next to Yvonne Craig. Oh okay. All right, I'll have to look again. Yeah, and it must be the lighting, but uh, Yvonne Craig's back is purple. Okay, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, so Yvonne Craig's kind of purpley, and then. Andrea's standing next to her. Yeah, but I figure that must be the lighting because I think she was an Orion slave girl, wasn't she? Yeah, but I don't that think this is this taken is, from. This is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where the, the photo's taken her. from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think this girl is, has like a beak or something because later on one of the pages, I think it's supposed to be the same girl. Maybe now that I'm looking at the back of, now that I'm looking at it, that it's not supposed to be Andrea. There's a page when Wrigley's on there, and it looks like she's with him. Right, behind his back. Yeah, and then there's like a a panel where you see her face, and she has like a beak. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, so go to the page where it's on page 12. Oh, yeah, you're right. They they mess with her face. Yeah, but it doesn't look like Yvonne Craig with beak. It just looks like some random woman with a beak. Yeah. Yeah, but he's messed with her face enough. I mean, those are new eyes, and the nose is very beak-like. And then the then the mouth is like what green, right? Weird. Right. Yeah, so, but yeah, I can tell her back anywhere. Nice. Well, it also is the hair and stuff. Well, yeah, and in this one she's green, or at least her hair is green. Her body's kind of grayish, but right. you know she could be back to her Orion slave girl kind of look in <laughs> this one. Anyway, eh, whatever. So if you buy a whole bunch of these Andreas, you have to keep them all in the same clothes. <laughs> it's required. And if you were in a bar and like six people all looked exactly the same, wouldn't you be a little freaked out? Ah, uh, he's like, oh, she's our favorite, in our the, favorite in the, in uh, server. The same outfit. Yeah, well, then, I'd, I'd be kind of weird. It would be kind of weird. Uh, I mean, you'd know that she's not real. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, yeah. if he uses them in the same area at the same time. Although, that is a fetching outfit. That was always a fetching outfit. Very appropriate for Wrigley's Planet. Now, if only they were shorts instead of pants. But, uh, anyway. How does it stay on? I 
don't know. I don't think she can sneeze much or anything. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. It's uh, not even a, all that attractive. That That's the bad thing about no, but it shows sixties, sixties stuff. I mean, a lot of the it's all it shows a lot of skin, but it's like exactly, it's not, it's not doesn't look good. Like those short skirts that the that Ahura and them had to wear. You're yeah, kidding? They're, you they're you cute. think they don't look good? They just look I weird. I think they look pretty good. <laughs> Typically, generally speaking, they look pretty good. Mm-hmm. And 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 the, I do agree with this one. I mean, his pants, and then going into this uh, this strap, you know, this cross strap, whatever. Right. Um, and it shows a lot of skin. And uh, I don't know. I don't. I think back in the '60s, again, a product of its time. You know, you didn't see stuff like that much on TV. Oh, you saw it all the time. Well, in the '60s, where? Um, I don't know. Maybe not skin, but you saw them like in the cat suits and stuff, like Mrs. Peel and Catwoman. And well, stuff like okay, yeah, but that's not skin. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. True. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Peel. Mrs. Peel. Definitely my favorite. Companion, better than Tara King. Although Tara King was pretty good too. When did Laughin come out? Because I remember. Oh, Laughin. That's, that's oh, what well, I always okay. remember about Laughin. Yeah, Laugh Laughin had the Go Go Girls and things. Right. Goldie Hawn. Yes, there were parts that Goldie. I think it was Goldie was in like a bikini or something that did show right. a lot of skin. See. Okay, fine. Good point. But, you know, but I, I there wasn't that many places from. from from commercial, I mean, from reruns and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you have the benefit of actually seeing it live. <laughs> well, the fifties definitely, as everyone's well aware, there was definitely a pretty much an edict in movies, in TV, unwritten law kind of thing. Or maybe it wasn't really a law, but it was like basically you had to be Disney esque. So there were certain things that didn't happen, definitely on TV, but even in the movies to some degree. And then when you see something like that, or Goldie Hawn, that's like a big, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Never seen that before, especially on TV. Right. Anyway. Right, because, I mean, you had to sleep in separate beds. There <laughs> exactly. Be a, there couldn't exactly. be a bathroom in the house. Rob and Laura Petrie. Oh, there couldn't be a bathroom in the house? Yeah, I think Leave it to Beaver was supposedly the first mo- show that had a At bathroom? Least they acknowledged that there was a bathroom, but they couldn't show a toilet. <laughs> like you can't show the toilet, but you can at least have a scene where they're like looking in the mirror or something like that. And that was like a big, a oh, big I did TV milestone. Okay, there you go. Breaking down walls, showing bathroom mirrors. Wow, <laughs> who would have thought? Anyways, yeah. Anyway, back to so this. I one. like I like seeing Lurch and ah, a lot yes. a lot of Lurch. Lurch. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah, many lurches. Uh, well, rucks. Yeah, you know, I was thinking there's five rucks here, but I still knew that there were some red shirts in play. But some, like I kind of alluded to it in the synopsis, when the red shirts did come back and saw five rucks threatening the rest <laughs> of the landing party, they finally did what they should be doing: set to kill. Bam. Now, now, Kirk is the one that actually gave the order, but it's like, finally, red shirts doing their job, protecting the landing party, and not just dying. Right. So, I did, I did like, like the conversation with one of the red shirts, where he's like, yeah, I beamed down here right at the end of the last mission we were here, and then he's, like, taken out really fast. Right. It, almost like in the horror movies, when somebody survives the Oh, the previous one? Yeah, and then dies in the first 15 minutes of the second of the <laughs> Right, <sequel. laughs> exactly. Yeah, short-lived. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't remember the show that much, I'll be honest with you. Did Lurch talk in that one? No, no. Rock- no, no. Because yeah. he talks all the time in this one. Yeah, he talked. Dead. He talked in the first, in the in the Taws episode. I'm, I'm okay. sorry, I thought you were talking about Lurch hardly ever talked in Adam's Family. He used to well, say he- things like, Ooh. Yeah, and he would say, yes, Mrs. Adams, and stuff like that. Oh, he did he? Talked, he had okay. very, very little dialogue. In the movies, he, he actually has less than he does in the TV show. Yeah. Well, I don't think, I don't remember who was cast in the movie as as Lurch, but definitely the original casting was phenomenal. Do you remember the actor's name? Uh, no. Okay. Well, he was great. I mean, he was perfect as Rock, perfect as Lurch. He was perfect in all those little things they would stick him into, or at least most of them anyway, that I remember in the 60s. Right. So, uh, yeah. But as far as the the movie 
Adam's family. Um, yeah, who who played? Uh, it was uh, Luxwana Troy's major domo. He played her major domo when she first showed up on Next Generation. He would carry her bags and stuff. Oh, oh, right, the skinny guy. Yeah, really like tall. A sk- really tall, skinny neck. Okay, gotcha. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah that was. Yeah, like... I don't remember him ever being an acting powerhouse, but. <laughs> I guess you didn't have to be if they didn't write you many lines because that, you're not supposed to say that much. But Right. I did not like that Harry Mudd took over Sam Kirk's identity or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of ooky. Yeah, it's just that last time he was on, we thought that maybe they just didn't have the likeness rights to the actor because mm-hmm. they never showed him and then they switched him to Kirk's face. Yeah. So at least they followed up on that, right? So right. While it, Harry Mudd was out with Kirk's face, he was doing all this crap. Exactly. Instead of just dropping it, and we just assumed that he uh, eventually reverted back to his normal face. Now, when he got Kirk's face, it was necessary for him to do his little covert thing for Captain Tracy. So that kind of made sense that he got Kirk's face, but actually leaving him with Kirk's face, even though he was supposedly going to go to Earth and uh, his fiance, eh, that still is stupid. Well, didn't they destroy the machine or something, and that's why they couldn't do it? Yeah, but still. I mean, okay, so they couldn't do anything about it, but, uh, oh, he's going to go to Stella again. Uh, that's a funny, uh, you know, justified uh, desserts or whatever. But it still is like, is she going to have armed guards there? I mean, like, how did you think Harry was not going to escape? I don't know. Right, but right. Yeah, and, and then not even follow up on it. Yeah. He actually made it. Exactly, exactly. At the very least, there should be some authorities to make sure he arrives, and if he doesn't, you know, let people know about it. Yeah. But whatever. I mean, and here in the uh, 21st century, we have house arrest, you know, where you can get a, a the bracelet or something put on your leg. Right, right. Something like that to make sure... The authorities know where you're at. I would think that the future would have something similar that right. uh, they can keep tabs on him. A substitutaneous uh, whatever that they put under their skin. Tagging it like a dog. Exactly. There right. you go. Lojack them. Lojack them, exactly. Is Lojack even around anymore? Uh, I don't know. But there are many other solutions to that. Sure. All uh, right, so my, my last comment on this, Ken, if you don't mind. Please. Um, that scene where it shows, like, the older version of Andrea on the monitor. Oh. Do you think that was the real Oh. Actress? Older version, or that, w- that was the original person? Right, right, right. But it was, she was older than the duplicates. She was a fourth-year student. Ex- a fourth-year exobiology student. So what makes you think she was older? I thought they said that she was older, and then that Corby, when he recreated her... Made her younger to something about doing something for his vanity or something like that. Well, I don't think yeah. she was any. I think what they. I think. I think she was. She was. She was a college student. So um, she was the same. Probably the same, the same age. age. But he just. But but uh, she looked. She looked a little more frumpy. I mean, the photo makes her. You know, she's got short hair and she isn't as pretty. Um, I mean, it's not as flattering. Right. And then, and then he gave her longer hair. He put her in that uh, sexy, sexy outfit. And basically, I think Corby, I think they're insinuating that Corby had either a crush on her, or he was actually doing something with her, or maybe he fantasized about doing something with her. So when he rebuilt her as a robot, he fulfilled his fantasies about this charming, lovely young lady that's like he's working with. Right, okay. Alright, I, I didn't really pay, I guess I didn't pay attention to the fourth year college student thing. I, yeah. I just assumed that maybe she was older and he recreated her to be younger so that... Right. Because they say they want to, uh, he must have been indulging his male impulses. Well, and what I got out of it is... Yeah, no, what you, know. you say is probably right, especially since it says she's a student. Right. Just but she, but her, she, maybe, she maybe does look a little. Her. That photo does make her look a little older, though. Yeah, I was just thinking. Well, maybe it was her, you know, from the '80s or something. The same right. actress. But you're right. She doesn't really look all that much older. Right. She just looks a little more. Yeah, frumpy. her hair's different. Right. Anyways, that's my last comment. What else you got, Ken? I just got two more quick things. 
Well, maybe one quick and one not. Uh, whatever happened to the to the members of the second science team that went down to XO three? I assume they're on that ship and they flew off somewhere. I don't know. Who's piloting the ship that keeps leaving? Well, uh, okay, that's a good point. I assumed that Harry was on the ship. That's why he wasn't around when they first beamed down. And then he came back in the ship, and then that's where he popped up again. But uh, the thing you is... You don't think Sulu would have called them and well, said, hey, exactly. coming back? That's exactly my point. If Sulu yeah. was hiding behind the moon, and he could have easily picked them up on the sensors if he returned, but I assume that was going on. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure where Harry was. So that was my theory. But then where did all the people go? They weren't there unless they were... And there were no Android duplicates of them. We saw no new androids that we haven't mm-hmm. seen before. Um, was Harry taking them away? Or maybe you're right. Maybe your theory is right. They took the ship and left somehow. But why would Harry... Harry wouldn't let them leave. Right. No, good point. And they uh, have to have them... They were using the ship to drop off the new, the new exactly. Androids, you you so. needed to have a ship. I bet Harry was making a delivery of androids. Yeah, but that still he, doesn't explain where the where the second science team went. That's true, unless he was able to get them all on board to be part of this uh, criminal organization thing. Perhaps, but uh, getting uh, I don't know how many people were in the science team, but right. but splitting your money that many ways. And really, what would they be doing? Exactly. Piloting the ship? I mean, it uh, doesn't fly itself. Yeah. Well, uh, good. <coughs> but, yeah, I mean, Harry knows... I mean, Harry's flown ships before, so... But, anyway, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a lot for one person to manage. Yeah, good right. point. Yeah, good point. Okay, my last point. So, when Wrigley refers to his girls as hostesses, that's how he referred to whatever her name was. Mm-hmm. It completely reminded me of Westworld, the the TV show, and the movie, quite frankly. I mean, they called them hosts in the movie, too, I'm pretty sure. But they definitely call them hosts in the Westworld TV show, which, of course, is Androidville. So, um, and a, oh, a hell of a lot earlier than Data was made. True. But, so I just think, oh, Westworld. Oh, and then I, I just thought it was interesting how Mud kept this all small time. And he sold the robots to others that were making money off of them, on like Wrigley's Planet and stuff, instead of thinking bigger and making his own Westworld. I mean, he could have done that. I mean, he could have had a Wrigley's Pleasure Planet, but then was more of like the shore leave model, where you could indulge your fantasies and they could whip these robots up to help fulfill them. Well, that shore leave episode pretty much was Westworld, wasn't it? It was, but for an alien civilization. Exactly. And that was a custom-made one. Whereas Westworld, they had a what a feudal Japan world, and they had a Middle Ages King Arthur kind of world, and then they had a Westworld. On shore leave, they just whip things up, whatever you like. And right. on, a, on, a, on a shoestring budget. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you didn't get the buildings and everything, you just got a knight on a, a horse. Or a, or a Finnegan. white rabbit. Or a white, uh, or a white rabbit, yes, <laughs> or a Finnegan, or you know whatever. That's right. I forgot Finnegan was in that one. Exactly. Ah, right, Jimmy, my boy. Finnegan, you bastard. Okay. So in this one, um, one of the things that did kind of bother me when I was reading it was how quick they knew that it was mud. Yeah. When they saw him, and then I, because I was thinking, well, they know they made a android kirk at one point why why assume that it was mud and not somehow oh, just another, make copy. another copy of kirk well because that's what i was thinking i was like oh okay so they were able to they saved the template somehow and then later uh you know they recreated a kirk so would they have made a fat kirk well did they know he was fat at at the beginning i don't know well well okay so as soon Okay, fine point. However, I don't know if they saved the template or not, but the most recent thing in their minds, because it wasn't all that long ago that Mud pulled his last stunt. Five issues ago, man. Nobody remembers that far back. Oh, come on. Come on. Well, this is further behind. Uh, this is further <laughs> in the past. So, yeah, I would have thought Mud at first, but, yes, you bring up a good point. If they would have kept his Kirk 
Word document and just print it off another one. Yes, that's another way to do it. <laughs> so anyways, well, Good it seems like they, they were right and I was wrong. So. Oh, there you go. Okay, one last quick thing and then we can move on. I thought it was funny how the alien controls that Spock messed with to erase all the uh, Andreas that were sold and distributed. Use Starfleet colors of red and gold. And they were like just they were just knobs. The knobs? The the yeah. the, the two dial kind of knobs and they were Starfleet red and Starfleet gold. I think they darn they it. showed that in the show and that was why they were there. I I maybe the show did that, and maybe it was a tip of the hat, but I do not remember it, but it's been a while since I've seen this episode. Right. So that is possible. I can, I can go back and look again. I just thought it was something that Byrne did. Burn did. Maybe. I just assumed that it must have been from the set. Oh, and they're not perfectly round either. No, they're like little octagons. Yeah, right. They're kind of curved. That's kind That's of a so different look. So that you can look. get a good grip on it when you're, there you when go. you're tweaking them. I guess so. <laughs> that hairy Spock arm. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Alright, we ready to go to nine? Let's do it. All right, so this came out a month or so later. Hold on. Came out November of 2015. It was issue number nine. It is entitled The Hollow Man. Written by uh, John Byrne. uh, Created by Gene Roddenberry. The Star Trek's created by him. Edited by Chris Royale. And uh, there's only one cover, uh, and it shows Spock in the foreground with going through pain and then in the background we see uh, McCoy and Kirk looking on uh, surprised and then behind him we see like a mass of um, looks like LED light strips kind of all twirled around a little mass of uh, glowing ball or something so the story starts with Spock receiving a secret communication from Leela Kalami and she asks him to visit her and her husband, who is geologist Alan Becker at Tau Beta 4, which is a dilithium mining station. She requests his aid when she suspects something's wrong with her husband, believing that he has been replaced by some sort of alien entity. It doesn't say that all, but uh, I'm just that is ultimately what we find out it's all about. So uh, Mr. Spock then traveled to uh, Tai Beta 4. He does this by taking 10 days leave from the ship and then going to a uh, Starcraft shuttlecraft rental service, which I was very sad that they didn't uh, do some product placement with Enterprise Rental Car, which would have been a nice little nod there. But instead, they use Blue Star Rental Car. So regardless, he's able to travel to the planet and he meets up with Becker and uh, Leela. He then agrees that uh, there is something wrong with him and that he says that he will help. Soon, Becker takes Spock to the underground mining facilities and shows him a network of tunnels that were already there before the mining colony shows up. And they all lead to a large area with all these strings of lights and things like that and uh, Becker says they uh, go deep within the planet then Spock is confronted by an alien entity named Sorora who has assumed control over Alan Becker all this time and he now wants to control Spock so that he can finally escape this planet which has been his prison and we find out that Sorora was somehow put inside this planet and the dilithium that's on this small planet was was holding him in all this time. So uh, Spock is able to resist his telepathic attack, and then uh, the alien entity has Becker attacking physically. Spock manages to defeat Becker with a uh, big bottle to the side of the head uh, when Becker found out, or when we found out that Becker was uh, resistant to the Vulcan nerve pinch. Sorora then takes control of. Leela, and uh, she does not have the same resistance to the nerve pinch, so she goes down quite quickly. Spock is then able to contact the Enterprise, and the three simply have to wait the 12 hours for the Enterprise to change course and pick them up. 
Later on the Enterprise, McCoy is able to heal all the physical damage to Becker, but his mind has been fragmented due to all the uh, telepathic control. Spock is then asked to do a mind meld and try to piece back the pieces of Becker's mind. Uh, he's able to do that successfully, but Becker seems a little different. Later, uh, when Leela and Becker are being transferred back to the USS Hannon, Leela and Spock have a little private conversation, and uh, Leela correctly deduces that uh, Spock had to put some of his own mind synapses into Becker to kind of hold things together. She says that's great, gives him a little kiss, and off they go. And uh, that's it. So uh, Leela now has a husband that is half her husband and half her ex-boyfriend. So the win-win on everybody's part. (laughs) (laughs) I like this issue, except for the end. I found the whole idea of Spock being able to do the mind meld and somehow inserting parts of his own mind into gaps in the new husband's brain to be a bit of a stretch, which kind of ruined it for me. It's a little weird. Up until that part, I was digging the story. Sure. Nope, I agree with you 100%. I did not care for the uh, the ending. Right. I liked seeing the, the woman, because wasn't she kind of the bad guy in the one episode she was in, where she was using some... Like uh, opium pods or something, the kind of control <laughs> or something. I don't really remember the episode all that well, yeah. but I remember her kind of being. I mean, maybe she was being mind controlled there too. I don't remember, but she was. So that was the episode was this side of paradise. Okay, and she was being controlled along with the entire colony by these pods. So these flowers, <laughs> like a sunflower or something, would shoot out like like darts at somebody that's in front of it and then would basically kind of sort of take them over and make them like just ah I feel so happy I don't feel like doing anything except doing basic things to stay surviving and just basically being a pacifistic oh enjoying the world you know kind of thing kind of like opium how that maybe Maybe. I mean, maybe this was like a veiled kind of commentary on uh, on drug addiction. I don't know. But yeah, that's what it was. So she well, was not... She, she was... I mean, she is the only human that Spock... I believe, at least in Taws. The only human that Spock loved. And even when she... she when the effects of the, uh, you know, the plant, whatever thing went away, she still loved Spock. Um, right. But, you know, they could never be together. Because Spock's got his career and whatever. Anyway, and she's really cute. I, th- I always thought Jill Ireland was really an attractive lady. But What else was she in, do you know? Well, she was in a ton of things in the 60s. I mean, so uh, the model for most TV shows in the 60s is, you know, you'd have special guest stars that would interact with the, the normal, regular actors and, you know, keep things spiced up. And, of course, they've continued to do that through the decades. But uh, she used to, she was a man from Uncle, uh, probably Wild Wild West, although I don't remember that. And then in the 70s, she had married Charles Bronson, and she ended up in a lot of Charles Bronson movies. Oh, really? That's kind of cool. Yeah, so they were married, and they would be able to be on uh, in you know working together and be together. Uh, she died at the age of fifty-seven or something like that. Of uh, and I think it was a breast cancer. Oh, what's that? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, so I looked her up a little bit on IMDb. Uh, yeah, and of course, her second husband was Charles Bronson. But you remember who her first husband was? Since I don't know who she is, no. <laughs> I'm assuming Becker. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, Ilya Kuryakin, David McCallum, who you may know better from NCIS as the uh, the old guy, the old doctor that co- uh, does autopsies. Uh, I never watched it. You ever, okay, well, you, you're familiar with Man from U.N.C.L.E., because we uh, did the yeah 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 we did that crossover with Batman sixty six 
Yeah, so he, the Russian guy? So he's the Russian, the Russian guy. guy? Oh, exactly. She was okay, married okay. to the Russian guy. But he's not really Russian? No, he's... he's. I don't know whether he's Irish or he's English. He's probably English, although I'm not sure. He's from oh. the UK somewhere. Gotcha. Well, she's from the UK too, isn't she? Yeah, she's English. I think. Well, I think she's English. Yeah. Hmm. And she married Charles Bronson. Charles Muy Muy Macho Charles Bronson. Yes. Yep. Interesting. Was he ever in Star Trek? Mm, no. No. He was in a lot of TV though. Right. Yeah, I know that before he became really big, like with the Death Wish movies, he was kind of a TV guy, right? He right. Yeah. He would pop up in I. I think he might have been a regular in a Western, maybe. Hmm. Well, I know he guest starred. So he was in uh, Have Gun, Will Travel. He was a guest star in one of those episodes. Yeah, okay. And he he popped up in other things before he became a movie star. Nice. Nice. Well, that's sad that she died, though. I mean, she couldn't have been that old. Well, she was like 57 or, or, oh, 54. She died. Oh, wow. She died in 1990. Oh wow, That's super young. That is young. That's younger than me. Ew. But you know. Mm. So, anyways, yeah. So, yeah, I was happy to see her in this. Yeah. And I think uh, John Byrne did a good job putting her in. I don't know if all oh, yeah. these pictures from her were from that one episode of the the opium one, but I mean, yeah, it, she looks different in all of them. So. Right, and this could be the kind of thing where. You know, another one. He could have taken it from other other things she's done, uh, other movies and things. But there's a lot of like Vaseline lens shots where it's all like like glowing and like right. really soft, and it's like makes her look oh beautiful, you know, whatever. A staple of Star Trek. A staple of Star Trek, and you know, movies in general. Slap the Vaseline on there. So the actor who played the husband, who is no idea who I, that guy is, but he looks really familiar too. He kind of looks familiar. I wonder if John Byrne puts the actors on his website or something. Ah, uh, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't doubt if there might be a wiki about this series somewhere that might have little things like that. Yeah, I'll have to look it up because I would really like to know who some of these actors are. Right, right, and he's in it quite a bit. I mean, right. But anyways, I, I think. I think things are getting better. I think John Byrne's doing a better job. I mean, you know, it's 10 issues in. I think he's like, I don't know. Compared to, like, the first ones where he, you know, you could actually tell that some of the scenes did not fit together. No. Uh, I mean, you still can here, but to me, I think it's more seamless than it was before. Yeah. he, he uh, The actual artistry and the mechanics of getting this stuff right, I agree with you. He's getting better and better at it. Oh, how about that ship captain? Of the liner that he was on. I recognize him probably from a Taws episode or maybe even a TNG episode. I'm not quite sure. But, you know, the guy with the purple uh, and black yeah. uh, outfit, whatever. The Before captain, he uh, goes and rents the, rents the car. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't remember where. I think he's from Taws. Yeah, he looks but... like um, Larry Drake, which was never in Taws, but uh, that's just... Larry what Drake. Who's Larry Drake? Uh, he was... He was in like um, Dark Man and things like that. Oh, he was, oh, he was older. Dark. Oh, Larry. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know who that is. Yeah, it. it yeah, the the actor Larry Drake, who right. played in Dark Man as the villain and right. played in TV as some kind of mentally um, challenged guy. I think that's where he first kind of made a name for himself. Okay. Uh, yeah, but that's not Larry Drake. No. I mean, it looks a little bit like that's him. That's just but... who, who it looked like when I was Right, reading. right, right. Eh, anyway. Uh, Larry uh, Drake actually was in Star Trek. He played, uh, looks like he was in an episode. Oh, Next Gen. Voyager. Voyager. Oh, Voyager. Okay, that, that, yeah, yeah the more modern one. Yeah. Right, right. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it, that's him. No. Holy crap. Okay. Larry Drake's dead, too. Oh, is he? Yeah, well. he died in 2016. Sad. Oh. Hmm. I didn't like how many pages they spent getting Spock to the planet. You know, that's interesting because I kind of did. <laughs> uh, just from the standpoint is you don't really see that kind of stuff that much. I mean, you see things, the military thing, 
you know, how do things go with uh, within Starfleet? You don't get a chance to see more of the private sector kind of sure. stuff going on. So from that standpoint, I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, there are a lot of... Uh, you got to see a lot... One thing about Star Trek is you don't see that many non-military people, so the number of costumes or what people wear in the 23rd century or whatever, you don't see that. And this does show it. I mean, whether you like the styles or not <laughs> is another thing. But um, you do see a lot more of that. And I, I kind of enjoyed that. And then the shuttlecraft, that they kind of, that's obviously just artwork. Right. And he's really channeling uh, you know, the Galileo shuttlecraft style, uh, but a little right. different. I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Although gaudy. Right. Blue star. But you kind of think, like, for commercial kind of stuff, I can, I can kind of see that. Sure, Being a little sure. gaudy. Yeah, I mean, just like when you rent a car now, it'll have the... I mean, not not to this extent, but there's yeah. always that Enterprise rental car sticker on the side. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess that's good. There was a Shatner novels, the ones that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where he retires from Starfleet, and he's having to beam around Earth using, you know, uh, commercial transporters. Right, right. And he's like having to wait in line and stuff like that. And he and, and then he's like thinking to himself that, you know, back in his day he could just walk onto the transporter anytime he wanted to and just beam wherever he wanted to. Right. So I, I remember liking that in that scene and, and they do a little bit of that here too where the captain's like, Hey you could use my private transporter. So Yeah. And, and that's yeah, and I, 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 I do like that because it's kinda like just you know, it just makes it a little bit more of a believable world. Sure. That there are inconveniences because we are confronted by inconveniences all over the place. But I can definitely see transporters as being something that would remove a lot of inconveniences because air travel is a pain in the butt. Right, and as soon as they get that trans warp beaming, uh, we don't even have to huh? use shuttle crafts anymore. <laughs> Boy, you know, they just reuse words all over the place, don't you? Isn't that amazing? What, so trans warp drive... Right, right. Uh, in Star Trek Three. Oh, that's then, right. That's then, right. They used it in Star Trek Three. Right, and then all they do is add on beaming to the end of it. <laughs> transwarp beaming. Cool. Anyway, that's fine. When I think of transwarp, I only think of the Borg because that's supposedly how the Borg got from the Delta Quadrant to the Alpha Quadrant so fast. Is because they had <sighs> transwarp beaming that. Uh, oh, what transwarp? Okay, their technology was no, not transwarp. Uh, transwarp drives or. What or transwarp tunnels or something, right? It wasn't it kind of well in the uh, it was something. Yeah, in, I, I agree with Voyager, you. It sounds like yes. that in Voyager. That's what they said. It was some sort of tunnels, but okay. in the Next Generation episode Descent, I think it was okay. Where, where Hugh, where right. where we find out that Lore is controlling the Borg or whatever, right? Uh, Jordy's able to put some neutrinos or something in front of the Enterprise to do some sort of transwarp, whatever. To, and then at the end, they're like, oh, well, we can never do that again or something like that to kind of give them an out so that why don't they ever use this faster than warp technology? Again? Exactly. Hello. It's like, <laughs> how the heck you guys are not using, I don't care about the Treaty of Algernon or whatever. You should be using <laughs> cloaking devices. Anyway. But we're off topic. Uh, we're very off topic. Uh, let's see. I'm looking forward to reading issue 10. Mr. Chekhov? Exactly. Right. So that's so cool. So apparently, I mean, there, so there's a few pages at the end that gives you a preview of the next one. But there, there's Chekhov in a red shirt with Scotty, and Scotty is giving his wisdom, bestowing his wisdom upon Chekhov. And we're finally seeing where Chekhov was on the Enterprise prior to him popping up all of a sudden on the bridge as, yeah. as Navigator. In that season, season one, right? He's never, he's not in season one, right? Correct. Or, or is he eventually? No, well, he's he's never in season one. He's, oh, okay. I think he's a season two guy forward. That's that's what I thought. But yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, because that's always been the complaint when people are like, "Oh, well, he never was in the con episode." Exactly. So and how then, would exactly? Oh, but he was. He was just Scotty's red shirt. Exa- they just he just wasn't a bridge officer. Exactly. And I thought, oh, that's an elegant solution. But they're completely right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> when the writers of Wrath of Khan wrote that, it's like, well, 
we want to use Chekhov here, but Chekhov... I mean, they must have realized that he was never... Oh, I doubt it. Oh, yeah? You know, the writers probably didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're probably right. Anyway. So I, I do like in this issue where um, they do talk about how, how long it takes to get to places. Yeah. So, I mean... I mean, Spock got here in less than a week, right? It's only been... I mean, it's been several days, but it didn't take him forever to get here, even commercially. But from where the Enterprise is, it's now 12, 12 hours, they say. Uh Oh, oh, for them to get there. Yeah. Right. Okay, right, 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 right. Yeah, so he, yeah, right, okay. So right. it took Kirk, I mean, it took Spock days, but now it takes the Enterprise. It still takes 12 hours for the Enterprise, so. Yeah. They're pretty far out there. Exactly. And that's at, like, what, warp 8 or something? Ridiculous. Did he, did he say 8? He probably did. It's, it's for it's for Spock. I got it. So so six is the normal fast cruising speed, but eight is like in emergencies, right? For a limited amount of time. So I, I, you know, it's always interesting to see when they actually say warp eight, just to show how how serious it is. So this one, they said warp eight. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but twelve hours is a long time to be knocked out, and it looks like um, well, both of them are still knocked out by the time the Enterprise got there. Well, yeah, they were both uh, in a bad way, I guess. And and the idea that Spock wasn't. So we leave Spock on the floor of the elevator with the other two's bodies. And then it makes it look like even Spock is has succumbed. Oh, yeah, uh, you're right. Because they're all, they're all on the... On, on the I, think, I think they got in the elevator, right? Or the lift? Yeah, it looks like, yeah, it looks like they just got the elevator. Well, it looks like maybe the elevator's already going up. So okay. during the descent, he laid down. Okay. He was okay. tired. He was yeah. tired. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so Spock was able to do some first aid and then contact the Enterprise. So. Right. Yeah. But I mean, he just nerve pinched her, so she's she was out twelve hours just from a nerve pinch. Uh, she well, she did. Too. Yeah, she was controlled too. So who knows what damage he was able to do? But obviously, uh, what Saora. But apparently, he was able to, uh, or she was able to recover from it. Because it right. wasn't so long term, I guess. Anyway, I, I felt I found that the mental fight between Spock and Saora was really kind of meh and really predictable. You knew Spock was going to win. Oh yeah, yeah. And I just thought that part of it was kind of eh, eh, eh. let's go. Because he's even knocked out at some point, and then Saur is still not able to get through his mental barriers, even while he's unconscious. Right. Because he's just that badass. He is that badass, exactly. People talk about Charles Bronson, but Spock <laughs> is badass. But uh, but my main complaint about this story, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. But there's no resolution to the Sora thing. He hits, he gets in the elevator and drives up, and then it's just like we don't ever see that again. Did they just I quarantine thought, the planet? Or? I thought they quarantined the planet. Yeah, but still, I would have liked. I would have liked to see them beam down a, a torpedo or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're leaving that automated dilithium mine. I mean, it's like, mm. oh, that's right. They do say it's like it's a shame we can't. We're not going to get all this dilithium, but yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. I forgot about that. So part. that is, you know, that that's the ultimate trump card that Starfleet pulls. Um, quarantine. Yeah, we see, see how well it works. <laughs> yes, we see how well it works. Um, Talos four, but um, yeah. So there's just some dangerous planets you just don't want to go to ever. Right, right. All right. Anything else for you? Um, uh, just one last closing comment. Just showing what a self-sacrificing guy Spock is. So he risks his own life to repair the brain. Of the husband of the only human woman that he has ever loved. What self-sacrificing guy is that? Wow. <laughs> I mean, he could have had a second shot with Jill Ireland. Come on. That must have been tempting. He doesn't have temptations. He's Vulcan. <sighs> no. He does. He just suppresses them. Exactly right. I guess, is temptation an emotion? I don't know. Whatever. I, I I bet he is tempted. He just does not succumb to them. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's all I have to say about this one. 
All right. So next week, are we uh, are we seeing Mister Chekhov? <laughs> I think we have to. My my interest is perked. And you've already read the first couple pages, so I, I have. You don't want all that reading to go to waste. I do not, and I think we've <laughs> we've piqued the interest of the, our legion of listeners. So, uh, you know, I'm sure they're wondering if they haven't read it already. Well, what goes on? Yeah, exactly. what goes on with the uh, red shirt engineer Chekhov? I bet he dies. He's wearing the red shirt. Oh, uh, but he's an engineering red shirt, not a security red shirt. Oh, that's right. They they get an exemption. <laughs> they don't go on planets normally. All right, so we'll read uh, 10 and 11 of uh, New Visions next week. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here